just as that's happened, the internet has gone yellow again. But it seems fine. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. It just said it was going to drop out, but it didn't. So it's a tease. Let's go then, shall we? Yeah, can do. We don't have a plan. <laughs> we don't actually know what we're going to talk about. But... No, but to be fair, we never know really what we're going to talk about. I, th- I have a few headlines in mind, as I'm sure <laughs> you'll... Uh... <laughs> well, we normally come up with a loose, a loose format, but let's, we're going to forgo that on our return. We'll go straight in, shall we? Yeah. Unsheathed. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Very professional. You can feel the chemistry already. (laughs) I was completely pissed by the time the game kicked off. We're going to have to cut this. We're definitely going to have to cut this. But I feel we should get off this subject now, making me annoyed. I bet he's in your fantasy team. There goes our hopes of this being a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Obviously, I don't want this call to do well. And someone who, you know, obviously hopes that it doesn't go well at United. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lawrence and Ed podcast with me, Ed. And me, Ed. Wait, what? You had one line. <laughs> I thought I'd spice it up as we've been away for a while. Ed squared. Ed squared. Is yeah. it too late to change the, the podcast name? Well, probably not. Not many people listen to it, so it's not, not like they won't be able to find it. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, we have been away for a while. I think it's because we're both busy and we don't get paid to do this. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was ill for a bit, wasn't I? And then, yeah, and then, and then I came to don't... visit, which is really yeah. for you know, going with government guidelines. Are there still any? It's not finished, hasn't it? I think it's just sort of good luck. (laughs) (laughs) They send us out into the world. Yep, it's, uh, you're on your own. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, since since we've been gone, as Kelly Clarkson would say, uh, Liverpool... (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Shall we start again? (laughs) Uh, well, Liverpool lost a match and Man United lost a manager. So, And several matches. And several matches, which probably contributed <laughs> to them losing the manager. Um, but yeah, I think so the last time we spoke, I think it was... So we'd just drawn to Brighton and United had just beaten Spurs, I believe, was the, where we left off in podcast land. Could have been. Yeah. Should we go with that? <laughs> I um, no, I don't know. It wasn't even that, I don't think, was it? I think it was pre-Liverpool game. Did we do one after that? No, we definitely did one after that because you were really busy. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, yes, we did. Actually, I remember that now. <laughs> I've forgotten about it. But... You just compartmentalised it to a part of your yeah. brain that <laughs> where trauma lives. That's where, where that's trauma where lives. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll need some hypnotherapy in about 40 years' time to, to get, get over it. that. Yeah, a suppressed issue. Well, let's let's yeah. deal with let's deal with the the manager no longer in the room. Um, <laughs> were you how do you how do you feel about that? Because I mean, we we it wasn't really a surprise, was it? But it's very different to having all these rumors going around and then it actually happening. So, what what are your what were your initial thoughts? Well, it was almost a bit of a surprise that it actually happened because you'd sort of. 
they'd sunk so low and kept with him that you sort of wondered what would have to happen for him to go. Um, I didn't actually see the Watford game, but by all accounts, if you'd watch any of the other United games this season, it was similar to that, where it was just chaos. Um, And this time, as has been the case recently, United were on the wrong end of it. But it was sort of a culmination and just a continuation of all the issues that United have had, mainly not really having any sort of tactical plan, being shoddy or worse than shoddy at the back, absolutely horrendous, no organisation. Um, and then that sort, of, that sort of nervousness creeps its way throughout the rest of the team, um, I think. Because previously United, even though they up until this absolute horror run, they'd still been good going forward, even though they'd conceded lots of goals. Whereas sort of from the, probably after the, or after the Spurs game, that sort of stopped and it seemed like the confidence went from the forward players as well. So I think to sort of answer the initial question, it was obviously sad because Ollie's very popular. It was clear that he's a fan just doing his absolute best, but it was also clear that he just wasn't up to the next stage of the job that he had to do, which was sort of the getting the results part, having built a sort of a good environment and a good team. He then had to get the results with that and he clearly wasn't able to. So it was sad, but I think it was on the cards and it was necessary. Um, I, I wasn't particularly um, really looking out for him to be sacked. And that's more from the point of view that the owners are complete twats who don't understand anything about football particularly. And there's no clearly no plan in place. So you sort of think, okay, so the manager wasn't good enough, but what is going to follow that? And yeah. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's been all sorts of rumours in terms of this interim <clears throat> bollocks, which I can't see the point in appointing an interim manager. You might as well give it to Michael Carrick till the end of the season. But then again, you've got the same issue. If he does well, then it's another Ollie situation, isn't it? Where <laughs> the cycle just continues. Yeah, well, I think that they sort of will have to end up with an interim whether they sort of plan for one or not because unless it sounds like they've decided that Pochettino is the first choice and he seems pretty eager to come and do the job now which makes you think is a deal that should be done but naturally that means probably won't be done um so the choice sort of is do they go all out to get their first choice now and if that doesn't happen then they have to settle for an interim or do they just hire sort of an experienced interim, which is what they've sort of been doing concurrently, get to the summer and then reevaluate? I really don't see the point of making a decision on Pochettino now and then delaying it until the summer because six months is a long time in football. Anything can happen in that time. So I don't, you know, he's not going to turn the job down in the summer if he wants it now. I don't really see what's what would change from his point of view then, but from United's point of view, what happens if PSG completely implode or Ajax go and win the Champions League, you know, something like that, then you want to make that decision in the summer, having sounded a lot of people out. So I don't really understand sort of the approach they seem to be taking at the moment, which is to get an interim, but then get Pochettino in the summer sorted now. It seems like get him now if he's the choice or don't. This sort of, but they're seemingly mixing those two strategies. Well, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. If Pochettino is the man that they want, 
then he needs to come now or not at all. You can't appoint a manager for six months and just say, well, you, you regardless of what happens, you will be sacked in six months because we want this other guy. That just doesn't work. But also, I find it baffling that they obviously knew we were talking you know, we were talking about Ollie being sacked weeks ago and it's not like we were the only ones doing it either. It's been pretty obvious that at some point this season, Ollie's going to get sacked. So they must have had a contingency plan in place. I can't believe that they've sacked him and then gone, right, what now? You know, that surely... Oh, I can, but... <laughs> but but how, how does that happen, Lawrence? Because if, if Pochett, it sounds like Pochettino has been the fans' first choice and their first choice for a while now. It's not like his name's just come out of nowhere. So they must have thought, well, because tapping up happens in football, whether it's players, whether it's managers, they must have kind of put some feelers out and gone, okay, if we sack Ollie, can we get Poch? If not, then what's the point in sacking Ollie? Really? Because who, who are you going to get? I mean, I've, I've seen Steve Bruce link with the job, Lawrence. Well, to be fair, I think that was that was seemed to be more pushed by Steve Bruce than anyone else. <laughs> no, I know, but it's it's still you know it, that story still had enough legs for multiple people to to print it. You know, it's not yeah. like I, I could say I could I'd do the job, but no one would print it. So there obviously must be something in it. I like that you equate yourself to Steve Bruce in terms of sort of the football world. You think you two are roughly on a par. Together. Well, I, I also write mystery novels in my spare time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet they're not as successful as his. No, they're probably That's not. I'll say they're, they're probably not. But I, I just can't, I just can't get that decision making at all. Also, I, I saw, I didn't watch United last night because some of us have to work, Lawrence. But, um, <laughs> but Michael Carrick looks like. You know when you you go do career mode on FIFA, and it comes up with that generic like man with beard in suit. He looked exactly like that. He looks so out of place. That it was yeah, like... he does. He does look very, very strange to see Carrick in a suit like that on the touchline. Um, it looked a bit like you actually. If you did a FIFA career mode, I've been told that before. <laughs> what do you look like, Michael Carrick? Yeah. Have yeah. you? By who? Yeah. Former lots lovers. Of people. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I used to play football back in the day, and this was when I was like 17. So that's, and Carrick was also 10 years younger, I might add, at that time. Oh, I was going to say, but what you were compared to, <laughs> slow. <laughs> can't, can't play in a two man midfield. <laughs> no, I think if. But yeah, I mean, to be fair, they did, they did well yesterday, and they did actually look like. And it wasn't particularly positive um, reflection on Ollie that all of his coaches remained. It was him that went and they put in a decent, organised performance like they'd been coached. It sort of didn't doesn't reflect great on him because that has been the criticism of him was the actual on-pitch stuff. The, having a team with an identity and some tactics was sort of what he was missing. And as soon as he went, they put in a performance that was sort of recognisable as to this is what they're trying to do yeah I think that's coincidental to be honest I think there's always going to be a reaction from players when the manager goes I think I think I, I, you're right it doesn't look good but I can't see how much would have changed in terms of the preparation for the game it's just a different person giving the team talk I don't think Ollie's 
he's on the training pitch, obviously, but ultimately it's the coaches that are running the sessions, really. So, and they're all they're no, all but that's there. that's that's what I mean is they've kept the same coaches, and it was that that on a on a Saturday, it it looks like they haven't worked on anything, yeah, the whole time. Um, and then as soon as Ollie went, it sort of seemed clear you could imagine what they'd been working on recently. I know they didn't; they would have prepared for this game before this week because it was a big game so no doubt they would have you know done some sessions on it but you could see out of possession this is what they were trying to do um and then Carrick made some really good changes which is as you know something I've been frustrated at with Ollie is that he would no, almost no matter what the situation of the game was unless United were desperate he wouldn't make any changes whereas for sort of 60 minutes VRAL will probably generally on top, but just around the 60th minute mark or the, the, uh, the hour mark, you know, I started to just get into the game a bit. And I have no doubt that Ollie would have thought, oh, well, we're getting better, so I won't change anything because it's going well. Whereas Carrick brought on Fernandes and Rashford at that point, and it sort of took United from getting a foothold in the game to, oh, we're on top now. And yeah. for the last 25 minutes, they absolutely played VRAL off the park. Um, so I do think he deserves some credit for that. I'm not suggesting that he should be given the job either as an interim or permanent manager, but I think it was, it, it did at least look like they'd worked on something for once, which was yeah. a positive. Well, who is your choice then? Because I mean, what, what are United fans thinking at the moment? Poch is obviously the first choice, but if he's not going to come now, then what, what do you do? What, as a, what would you be satisfied with from a fan's point of view if say Poch is coming in the summer you've got now until June or July or whenever it is who would you want well I think there's I think there's two sort of strands that and the preferred option is still if Pochettino is the one they want and I think he's done a did a good job at Spurs he's a decent fit for United then just get him it's you know he doesn't want to be at PSG he's made that known that he'd accept the job now so they're you know, without going or Gary Neville, it's Manchester United, just do it. Um, they've got the finance to do it, just go and do it. And that means the season isn't a write-off. If that can't happen, then as I said earlier, I would keep their options open in terms of a permanent appointment in the summer, but it would feel like this season is a bit of a write-off now. Yeah. And in which case, I wouldn't really be fussed who they... It is almost If they don't get a, a proper manager now, then it is almost them saying, well, the season's a write-off. And in, in that case, then... I'm not really fussed who they get, to be honest, because there's no, they seem to be looking at what I would term proper managers still. You know, they're looking at, uh, you know, ex Barcelona boss, um, a few others who have had proper top level jobs. So they'd be a proper manager. It's just a case of sort of which one do they fancy? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, I never realized that was a bit of a, a non-answer, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't really. If they don't get who they want now, then yeah, it would be a bit of a half-assed approach to the season, both from the club, but also I think for the fans, it would just sort of be a bit of a well, sort of on. We're as a club, we're on sabbatical until next season. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, I get what you mean. It'd be very difficult to get excited about any of those, even if Valverde does come. It's a bit like I mean. Well, I, I I wouldn't, as I said to you earlier in the week, I wouldn't be immensely shocked if United spent the next six weeks desperately trying to persuade Ted Lasso to come and do the job, <laughs> only to then find out that he's not real. But 
short of him, maybe maybe um, Bob Bradley would come and do it for a bit. Oh God, yeah, you'd you'd um you'd improve your record in the road matches. <laughs> oh, Americans. <laughs> one one thing that I did notice as an outsider about Ollie was that exit interview that he did. I actually felt a bit of warmth towards him during that because it was, you know, it came down to the human side of it where a person has lost their dream job and he's really upset about it. And I just wonder if he'd have shown a bit more, maybe he did from a United fans point of view, but I always thought that he comes, he came across a bit sort of cold. He started off the job with lots of enthusiasm and was a bit of a character and a bit of a, He's got this weird kind of Norwegian Manchester accent and he's a bit crazy and he plays good football and he hits teams on the break. And there was a bit of, but then as it went on, it's almost like he, he wasn't to the same extreme as Mourinho was, but it's almost like he wanted to win too much that he lost all of the joy and fun in his demeanor. Whereas you look at the characters in football, these, I mean, Klopp is an obvious example, but Rashford, people who are honest and a bit more likeable, like even if Klopp lost every game until the end of the season, there wouldn't be that vitriol from the fans to get rid of him. It would be a kind of, okay, like maybe we need a change of manager, but felt like the job just battered him. Yeah, I think that's something that has seemingly happened with a few few United managers post-Fergie. I don't I'm not sure I completely agree with it in terms of the personality stuff. I didn't see a huge amount of change in him, but I do feel that obviously the difference between being an interim manager and then the full-time manager is quite big. And that was sort of showed on the field gradually, but particularly this year where when he first came in as interim manager, one of the noticeable things compared to Mourinho was how high up the fullbacks played. Um, because he was under no pressure. So it was sort of, let's just play attacking football and see what happens while I'm here. Um, and then that sort of hit a wall just after he became permanent manager. But that was sort of put down to the fact that the players weren't fit enough. They weren't his players. It wasn't his team, etc. And then he sort of tried to keep that going a little bit the following season. But then the further he's got, the more he's tried to sort of develop a a consistent winning plan and the result becomes a bit more important. But at the same time, as I've said, I don't think he really knew exactly what he wanted his team to do in that respect. Um, other than a few key sort of buzzwords, like play quickly with intensity, <laughs> those sorts of things, which are great ideas, but you need to know how to actually get your team to do that. I, yeah. I just feel he lost his way in that respect. and It wasn't really clear. And then was probably, you know, obviously there's a lot of stress when things start to go wrong. At United, and that would no doubt have taken its toll. But I didn't particularly think he became overly cold or particularly different um, as a manager. Um, but I, I think the you know, exit interview—I haven't actually watched it. Um, it seems strange, but I since it sort of seems that that was his choice to do it. And I thought he made a good point that sort of you know not every manager who gets sacked or leaves sort of has to do it leave by the back door sort of slink away etc um yeah sort of it's it was sort of a quite i suppose quite a proud thing to do i guess sort of he wasn't hiding from the fact that he ultimately not been as successful as he wanted to but it's clear that he's obviously still a united fan and didn't hold any particular grudges against the people that sort of you know the board etc so sort of the thought 
you know, if that's what he wanted to do, then then fair enough. But it was weird. It was a weird thing to sort of decide to do. But yeah, we haven't haven't really seen it before. But I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk as well during the week about Ronaldo and that affecting what Oli wanted to do. I mean, obviously Sancho was his man. He wanted to, he chased Sancho for nearly a whole year. Eventually got him. And then, you know, then adding Varane as well. Was Ronaldo his choice or was it a kind of, we don't want him to go to City, so we'll get him in. And he's a, you know, he's a marquee signing that the fans will love, but not really taking into consideration Ollie's thought process and what the team he wanted to build. I don't think there was any particular disconnect there in terms of Ollie not wanting him. I saw Paul Merson say, sort of try and, um, frame it as if that had happened like he'd just been hoisted upon Ollie and that had ruined the tactical plan that he had um I think there's two parts of that one I'm not sure we had a particular tactical plan anyway but two <laughs> Paul Merson has about as you know he has absolutely no insight into what happens at United behind the scenes so he's literally yeah. just guess guessing that that's happening um, yeah. so I didn't really understand why he decided to sort of put that opinion out there as if he had some sort of source that he doesn't because he's, you know, doesn't have any influence or contacts yeah. within United. Um, I don't, I've been a bit, I think a lot of, from what I've seen, a lot of the journalists that cover United as a full-time job and a lot of the fans are a bit bemused by this constant Ronaldo talk about sort of whether his goals are enough to, sort of make up for the fact that he doesn't do a, a job of a sort of modern, less talented centre-forward where they don't score any goals, but they press. Um, I just think it's bizarre. If you can't tactically set a team up to win with one of the best goal scorers of all time in the team, then that probably suggests that you're not cut out to be a top-level manager. I mean, the blokes pretty much single-handedly kept us in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, scored enough goals I don't think he's as lazy as people like to make out sometimes I think he's economical with his movement but he is 38 so that makes sense I think you know get a a world-class manager in with that squad that United have got I don't really think there'd be a particular problem there I think it's it's a bit I think it's a bit of an easy stick to beat United with from people in my opinion that are a bit pretentious they want to show everyone that they understand football at a level that most people don't. So that's why you sort of get the, this person doesn't score any goals and most people think he's rubbish, but actually I know better. Yeah. He's really good because he presses sort of sort of thing. Um, it's sort of, I, I can see more of what's happening that other people can't, that the sort of, oh yeah, he scores, you know, 40 goals a season, but he's actually rubbish sort of nonsense. It's sort of where I feel it comes from. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's also, it's an easy target, isn't it? It's, first time Ronaldo's been in a team that isn't winning things so yeah it's an easy thing for people to you know the media love building someone up and then knocking them down it's exactly the same with if if PSG were mid-table everyone would be you know launching at Messi as well so and if PSG don't oh. win the Champions League which they won't uh Messi will come in for some stick as well so yeah I, I would also just just add on that that a lot. It seems like a lot of the same arguments were made about Juve last season, and 
they sold Ronaldo and they're not magically playing brilliant football and having lots of success. They've got the same issues that they had last season, apart from they don't have one of the best goal scorers to put the ball in the back of the net for them. So sort of shows that Ronaldo probably, if if the issue is Ronaldo, then he's you've probably got bigger issues to worry about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Juventus are what, like eighth at the moment? Yeah, they're yeah not, they're... Got, they were pretty poor yesterday at Chelsea from what I saw. Yeah. Well, in terms of managers moving around, do you want to talk about, should we talk about Gerard a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suspect this will be something more for you to um, illuminate us all on. I suspect you followed his career ranges a bit closer, but it seemed seemed a gamble from Villa. But it's not to say it's that all that no gambles ever work out. Oh, it's absolutely a gamble from from Villa, but I think it's a brilliant move for him. What an opportunity! Because you know, it's it's no secret the job that he wants in football, um, and he was going to have to prove that he could do it in the Premier League before anyway uh rangers he's done you know there's the, again the the lazy stick that people are beating him with is well out of a possible nine trophies he's only won one and it's like okay well think where that rangers team were when he took them over they were in no shape to even get close to win anything and in three years he's absolutely not just stopped celtic winning a tenth he battered the league they won it by like 20 points um it's the Scottish League, so you know you have to then contextualise it into that as well. But it's still an achievement. Um, and even if he'd won the league for the next four or five years at Rangers, he was still going to have to go to another Premier League club and do it. So I think he's just fast-forwarded it a little bit. If it goes well, then who knows? But the only difficulty that I envisage is that what constitutes success for him at Villa is it winning a trophy is it getting into Europe is is that a fair expectation because Villa are you know people were talking about them as relegation candidates last week with Dean Smith as the manager so you do have to kind of think if he steadies the ship turns Villa into like a Wolves and then maybe moves on to like a Leicester or someone else and moves his way up is that enough I don't know, but it's certainly a risk from from Villa, but I, I don't think they had much of a choice. I think they needed a charismatic manager that the players were going to get excited about. And Steven Gerrard is a huge name in world football and any player who's particularly one that's playing at Villa, no disrespect to them, is going to get excited about Gerrard coming in as the manager. He's a bit more charismatic than Frank Lampard as well because he was linked with the job too. And Gerard's a bit more, and he's he's you know he's got an experienced backroom team. He's got um, Gary McAllister as well, who's who, who everyone who talks about him as a coach says how good he is. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a really really good move for him, and I think we can expect. I know Villa won on his first game against Brighton. I think that was just the kind of knock on effect of a new manager. I don't think there's too much that we can say about that. I think he probably had what half a day with the players, so I don't think there's. But I, I, I do think he's um, he's going to be an interesting character in terms of the managerial appointments in the league. And we've got them in a few weeks. He's coming to Anfield, so that would be interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of, I suppose, what he needs to do to sort of t- to be a success at Villa and, and 
you know, it's obvious it is a stepping stone, but that doesn't mean that he's not committed to Villa because for his own interests, he needs to do well there. So I sort of, sort of thought a few of the comments were a bit strange about sort of how he's only using it as a stepping stone. It's sort of, well, if that approach was taken, then about three or four of the clubs in the league would have managers and none of the rest would. Yeah, exactly. But I think he's he sort of probably, I think, because Villa have got money and they've got ambitious owners as well. I think he sort of needs to do a similar job to sort of a Brendan Rodgers sort of type. He, he needs to sort of get the team playing good football, win more than they lose and sort of become one of those teams that it doesn't surprise you when they're up the top sort of, you know, six, seven positions in the table. I think ultimately that's probably where he needs to get Aston Villa in yeah. the sort of medium to long term, however long he's there, to be a success. I, I suppose in this for this season, it is just a case of, you know, they can't go down. That would obviously be a, a failure. Yeah. I, I know of the previous manager, but also of Gerard because it's a long, long part of the season still to go. I suppose this season it's just about trying to implement some of that sort of longer term ambition in terms of playing good football, winning more than they lose, I suppose, is the, uh, and building a team, I guess, as much as anything. Because I think whilst, you know, Ranieri built that title winning team at Leicester, they then sort of jumped around a bit. And it's probably not until Rodgers has gone in that they've then built, sort of built a team again that you sort of recognise as Brendan Rodgers, Leicester's team. So I think that's probably yeah. a good sort of comparison for him as a, a manager. Yeah, and I, I mean Leicester. We've we've spoken about them before. I think they're an example to the rest of the Premier League. To be honest, in how they go about things, I think they're such a well-run club. But Villa, the 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 foundations are there, aren't they? Villa are a huge club. Uh, if they've got the money, and they've got an exciting young manager, there's no reason that they can't challenge for Europe and possibly even in a few years, top four. You know, there's no reason that that can't happen. I just feel like with with their owners in the past, they've been a bit, I don't know, perhaps deluded would maybe be a harsh way of saying it, but they're not they're not anywhere near that now. So if the, if they are gonna if that is their ambition and Gerard is their man, which they've made it pretty clear that he was the one they wanted, that no one else was really in the frame. They've got to give him time and they've got to give him backing. They can't you know piss and moan if they're. 10th at the end of the season and then 12th 10 games into next season it's it's about it's it's a it's a gradual process isn't it because I don't think they're going to get anyone better than Gerard at the moment you know in terms of an exciting young coach that you know they had Dean Smith and he only went there because he was a fan you know I can't I can't see them getting a top top manager so they do need to give him time um I felt I thought it was a weird one Dean Smith going to Norwich as well that just seemed like oh well Need a job. <laughs> I'll do this. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that is sort of. I don't know how he did. A, obviously, did a really good job at, at getting Villa up again and a sort of staving off relegation somehow in their first season. But I suppose he then failed to sort of develop the team post Grealish. And I know it wasn't a big sample size, but that is sort of the accusation at him is that I suppose that it was Grealish that sort of. <laughs> was responsible for that rather than the man the manager and that's probably not fair but that seems to be the perception so I guess he was just thinking a Premier League job has come up I don't know how yeah. many more Premier League jobs I'll get offered so I better take it and I think he's probably a good fit for Norwich in that 
he's got experience of the championship. If and it has become an if, all of a sudden Norwich go down, yeah, then he's a good manager. They'll probably stick with him to try and get them back up. Um, I thought the stranger side of that equation was Norwich then sacking the manager after they'd finally won a game. <laughs> um, I don't think Dean Smith's a bad appointment for them, and he's definitely a better appointment than Lampard. I, I think yeah. that would have been an absolute shocking decision because I think Lampard was a half-decent Chelsea manager for the situation they were in with a transfer ban and a, a, a need to bring in some bring through some young players. But it became pretty apparent pretty quickly after that that he wasn't the man to take them. He, yeah. In essence, he was sort of a really good interim manager for that season. Yeah, get him at United. <laughs> yeah. But he was a pretty, pretty dreadful manager, I think, all things considered. When you look at the job Tuchel was done coming in there immediately afterwards. So I think if Norwich had got Lampard, that would have been a huge risk without any real evidence that it would come good whereas I think Dean Smith's a decent appointment they might still go down but I think they've probably done all right with that yeah I mean they might still go down but I mean they've they don't spend any money really do they when they do have (laughs) money to spend it's they just don't their recruitment is awful they need to take a leaf out of Southampton's book because somehow they sell all their best players every year and somehow get players in that in a few years will also be sold so it's well they um, sort of They've almost moved away from that by not really having any good players and just sort of having a team that is probably just about good enough to stay up, but not with any players that anybody's going to want to actually take. Well, you say that, that seems but they to be sold, the new way. They sold, I mean, they had Ings who scored them goals. They sold him. They had that Vestergaard at the back and he went, didn't he? I can't remember where he went, but he's gone somewhere. I think I he just went to Leicester. That's right. Yeah, he did. He went to Leicester. So I just I don't I don't get it. But back on to back on to Lampard. But I think the obvious point to make would be he's not quite good enough to manage Chelsea. There's a big jump being of being good enough to manage Chelsea and being good enough to manage Norwich. But for me, I just don't think the motivation's there. I think he wanted to be Chelsea manager and he did a decent job at Derby, but still didn't get them up. And then he's got the Chelsea job and it's like, okay, I'm Chelsea manager now. I don't think he actually has any interest in being a football manager. I think he just wanted to be Chelsea boss. Yeah, I think that's probably a good, probably quite a a fair way of looking at it. But I I think with Lampard, you're right, there is a big jump between being Chelsea and Norwich. But you need different types of managers there generally. Yeah. Um, And I think, I don't think the skills he has as a manager, I think they're quite similar to Solskjaer. I don't think his strengths are his in-game management. He's creating a style of player system. He's not particularly tactically competent, if you like, which is why he struggled when Chelsea gave him better players to implement anything. It's not like Tuchel took a style of play and made it better. He's essentially just gone in there and done his own thing with a good group of players. I think if... Lampard went to Norwich, a bit like when Solskjaer was at Cardiff. His weaknesses as a manager would be laid bare for all to see. And he did he did do okay at Derby, but he again he took on a team that was always in and around the playoffs. He yeah. didn't build a team there. He sort of took on a team and did exactly what they've been doing for the last few years. Uh, I don't think he particularly did anything there that would point to him being a good manager to take a team back up again. 
Well, I also think in terms of, you know, because we've got this crop, these crop of young ex-players, you know, players that we grew up watching are now becoming managers. And I, I was going to say British managers, but I know Ollie's not British, but he's he's managing in, in England is what I mean. And I don't think there's any coincidence that the German managers that have come through, like, you know, you could even argue like Daniel Fark, but Klopp, Tuchel, they, all of them managed the kind of second team for a bit. And they all, they all kind of studied the game whilst they were in their thirties and forties. And they, they've developed a way of playing that suits them. I think the issue that we have in this country that we, we do it, I mean, we do it with players as well, is just throwing these managers in and going, well, they've played the game, so they must know how to manage. And it's a completely different skill set. And I think Gerard will see how he does at Villa, but he's probably adapted to it, well, a lot better than Lampard. But I, I, I do really struggle with that kind of, oh, he's an ex-player, so just throw him in, you know, because Carrick, obviously, as well, you know, all of a sudden becoming interim, you know, the caretaker manager. I think, I don't know why it's looked down upon so much in this country for the, them to manage the second team or the reserves or the youth teams for a bit and figure out a style and then graduate yeah. to, to the, the I mean, first that's team. What... It's what Guardiola did as well, wasn't it? But it's yeah. also what yeah. uh, you might not Mourinho. know this, but it's what it's what Oli did as well. Oli coached the reserves for a few years, um, and then went off to Mould, was successful, and then obviously had a spell at Cardiff, went back to Mould, was successful again. So you know, on paper, if it had worked out at United, then you would have probably people would look at it and say, "Oh, that was a good." You know, he'd learnt, he'd learnt, he worked, did the second team, went off and got some experience at some different football football with a lot less sort of glamour and money about it um, and then went on to do a a job somewhere else. So I think if it comes off, it looks good. But I think with those, it's just sort of a period where there's a lot of good German coaches around for whatever reason, sort of an era of good German coaches. Um, I think it's difficult to compare those managers with others because they are just the best I think they've got a natural intuitive reason why they're the best and if it was that easy I think obviously everyone would be able to make a success of it no of course but I mean it's only natural to try and spot patterns and I don't think it's they're all of a similar age and they've all followed a similar path and it's you know there's there's probably hundreds if not thousands of German managers that did the same path that didn't cut it so obviously they've got some natural talent and they're all unbelievable managers I get that but I just think that it's no coincidence that there's all these German coaches coming up all at once there's obviously a way of doing things there that works better than how we're doing it I don't you know we've got lucky with the national team with Gareth Southgate but then he managed the under 21s didn't he for ages so there was that progression Gerard did manage the under 18s at Liverpool for a while and then he went off to to Rangers and he's got his, but it seems to be the kind of done thought process in this country that oh they're a good player so let's just see how they how they do as manager they were captain give them a few years doing their coaching badges and then they can manage the team it just it, that doesn't work for me I think it needs you need to be a student of the game not just a good player and you can spot them a mile off like I think Jamie Carragher would make a decent manager somewhere because he's such a student of the game. He's obviously gone into punditry and now he he wouldn't be a manager. But when he was playing, the way that he spoke about football, you could see him being a coach or being a 
being a, being a manager. Same with Gary Neville, but then maybe he he was almost too analytical and it didn't translate across. So you almost need to marry up this personality and yeah. and tactical nous. But yeah, I just think we're going about it wrong. It's more by luck than judgment here at the moment. Well, I think it's the first time I've really thought about it, but I would suggest without having looked into it at all, to use Germany as an example, I would suspect there's an easier pathway for German managers who do a decent job coming up through the system to get a job in the Bundesliga than there is for English managers to get a job in the Premier League. Um, Because you look at, you sort of, maybe that's just starting to change with the likes of Graham Potter. Um, You've had Dean Smith um, at Villa maybe that's just something they're looking at and it will take time to change. But I feel, I feel like if a German manager does a good job in, in the lower leagues, then they'll find their way to the, you know, the division below the Bundesliga and then the Bundesliga. Whereas I feel in England, it's easy for them to get stuck in the sort of league one, league two yeah, and find it difficult to then get up, particularly from the championship to the Premier League, unless they take a team up because it's just, there's so much money in English football that clubs, in the Premier League, you look at Crystal Palace hiring Vieira. It's turned out it's, it's worked really well at the start of the season. But people weren't saying, oh, that's a, that's brilliant that Palace have been able to get Vieira because he's so highly rated as a manager and he could yeah. have gone to all these different clubs. It was a bit of a, oh, that's a bit of a surprise. Mm. wonder why they've done that, but it's working at the moment. Whereas perhaps if a, a club in another country would be forced to look a bit closer to home for their managers. And then there's that sort of proving ground for the managers to show that they can coach at that level. Because as I've said, I think there's a, you're managing in league one or the championship is a real grind to just survive almost. It is a world away from Premier League management and you probably don't get the chance to showcase those, those skills at all. No, and the games come so thick and fast down there. I think they play two games a week all season so you can't you don't really get any time to coach the players they're always in recovery but I think there's a simple solution though to to that it's the same with what we've done with young English players that they've gone over to Germany and then come back why why don't English managers do that I just well, I, I suppose it's the, the language thing isn't it we don't speak well, anyone else's well, language well yeah well then learn the fucking language you know it's not difficult you know sit there Duolingo a couple of times a week <laughs> football goal press that's all you need to know <laughs> you can, yeah but then you end up like Roy Hodgson well no, I think he's he's a a bygone era isn't he like I think there's I, I think it's very different uh, you know thir- late 30s early 40s person going over to Germany to learn coaching badges than him doing it in the 1840s or whenever it was that he was manager of Sweden but yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And you don't want to be... There's always the accusation then, isn't there, of you, you could take, you know, Stuttgart and win the Champions League, but they'd be like, oh, but he hasn't done it in the Premier League. There's there's always that, isn't there? Um, but I, I just think if you're, if you're serious about wanting to become a manager, the more experience, the better. And, you know, what happened to mentoring I think didn't Mourinho go and work under Bobby Robson for a little while and you know yeah, well, I you... think yeah he did I don't think he went there I, I don't think that was sort of a, a deliberate mentoring thing as in 
really planned out. I think he just happened to work at Barcelona when Bobby Robson was there. But I think that probably is part of the things that maybe set some of these managers who are successful apart is that they're in a way lucky that their jobs in some areas coincide with other great managers. But that also doesn't always transpire because you'd have to say none of sort of Fergie's players have really turned out to be particularly good managers. So it's no. sort of, it's, I suppose it's, it's one of the things where you need someone with natural ability to have, and that's natural ability as, as sort of a charismatic person, a people manager, an organiser, and then the football specific sort of side of tactics and training. You sort of need that side of thing to in an individual that goes on to be a really good manager, you obviously need those ingredients, sort of raw ingredients, but then you also need the luck of having the right job at the right time, having the right job with the right people to teach you the right things as well. Sort of, I guess that's the bit that's difficult for if you want to start sort of growing coaches, that's the difficult thing to replicate, I guess. It's not going to be the same for everyone and you need a bit of luck with that. Yeah, but I mean, even I, I don't think there's any reason necessarily for coaches to have been ex-players. You know, but they they pop they need to understand football to you know to an extent, obviously. But you know, Ferguson wasn't a top player, and he's the best manager that's ever ever lived. You know, Klopp did play, but he wasn't like a, a world beater. Pep Guardiola is probably the exception there because he was a fantastic footballer, but Mourinho hardly played. You know, there's that they almost need to be a bit more creative in who they look at, um, and and maybe creating a pathway for kids who want to be managers as well, and having a kind of coaching youth setup if that if that if that works. I suppose the, <laughs> they the all turn up with a clipboard that... and a whistle. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the problem with that is that I think it's more sort of inside the industry in that there's you're going to be different I think it'd be difficult for a young manager particularly to command much respect you sort of an age thing you need to have got some experience and unless you do what sort of Klopp did where you really work your way up and sort of get respect to each new level because you've had success at that level it'd be really difficult for for a coach to go into a top club having not played the game, I suppose, because you wouldn't command that respect from the, the players because there is a... You see it on TV from the ex-pro pundits where there's a, a real arrogance of if you haven't played the game at the top level, you won't understand it yeah. sort of thing. And I think that's wrong because I think a lot of the time they're very poor at articulating what they're seeing on the pitch. They don't show an understanding. You know, you look at... Maybe it's a bit harsh, but the likes of Joe Cole, Jamie Redknapp, those sorts of people, they don't, I don't think they offer anything as a pundit from having played the game, particularly that a, a normal person who watches lots of football couldn't do, personally. Well, the worst one is when they have Jack Wilshire on. <laughs> He's awful. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And, you know, the players are the first ones to say that football is for the fans and, and football without fans is nothing. I, I think fans offer a different insight. You know, it's why why we're doing this fucking podcast. They can offer a certain insight into 
what goes on behind the scenes. But I think even that's becoming less and less relevant because there's an Amazon documentary with a different team every year and we see it all. So, and the fans are the ones who are actually sitting in the stands or watching it on TV with all the analysis. So if anything, the fans can actually offer more of an insight in terms of what they're actually seeing on the pitch because the players are on the pitch. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's harsh. I think there's, I think fans do have a lot to, a lot to offer. I'm not suggesting that fans become football managers, but I, I just don't think that I think it's becoming less and less uh, crucial for players to have played the game at a top level to become either a manager or a pundit or a coach or whatever, because there, it's a totally different skill set. Uh, but I think you're right. I think maybe maybe it is a respect thing, but that will change. All it takes is for the first domino to fall, doesn't it? The first manager to be successful who hasn't played football, Ted Lasso. And then th- then it becomes, you know, becomes a thing, doesn't it? Um, yeah, well, I guess we might as well do the, the whole round of, um, of managers then. Eddie Howe. <laughs> it was just such a, an appointment that I just struggled to care about in any way shape or form like he might do a decent job at Newcastle it's hard to see him being the man that takes Newcastle towards where they want to be particularly I don't think he has that potential overly I think he plays decent football but maybe it's the opportunity we were saying about young English managers not really getting that chance to it's very difficult for them to progress towards the, the Premier League and then when they get there towards the upper end of the Premier League unless they take a club there themselves, maybe he can prove us wrong and show that he is a good good enough manager to be there. But I think yeah, I think it'd be more about who they can attract in terms of just massively increasing the quality of their squad in the short term. I think the difficulty for him is that Newcastle are in trouble. They're, they really are in trouble. They're not a very good side. And if they do go down, he will probably be sacked because it will be seen as his fault. And then where do Newcastle kind of, you know, they, they go from there? I think he's there. And then if he's successful, he's there kind of Mark Hughes, isn't he? at City like they'll just wait until they get to a position where they can attract a name manager I I wouldn't be surprised if in three four years Mourinho ends up there like I really you know he's already positioned himself for it isn't he yeah like Um, I really would not I I think you're right and I think the problem one of the problems they'll have is that you sort of think of Eddie Howe's Bournemouth teams you sort of think style over substance really like they were a neat neat and tidy team played good football and they were successful until they weren't and when the sort of the the style dropped off they didn't have enough substance to keep themselves up and rebuild and what Newcastle really need is to get some sort of a real strong foundation in the team make themselves hard to beat and start picking up results I don't think they've got the time for Eddie Howe to particularly come in and implement a, a style and a system that will make these players good enough to stay up all of a sudden which is why I think it would be more about whether they can really increase the quality of their team in January and do it by enough to just sort of put their foot down and get out of trouble this season. Yeah, and it's all, you know, whatever happens, it's going to be overshadowed by the absolute circus around their ownership, isn't it? But, I mean, I'm just looking at their their next games. 
you know, before so before January, then they've got Arsenal away, Norwich at home, which is now a massive game, that one. They've then got Burnley at home, Leicester away, Liverpool away, Man City at home, and then United at home. So you know, come come the the new year and then Everton away on on um, day before New Year's Eve. So come January, they could quite easily be sort of nine, ten points adrift. And it's then that's that's then huge. It's not just one player that they've got to bring in because, uh, you know, people are talking about Coutinho. Oh, they'll get Coutinho in January. OK, fine. But Coutinho is a luxury player. And to be honest, he the best he's looked in the last four or five years was when he was at Bayern. And even then, they didn't rate him enough to, to take him permanently. So he, he's, not, he's not fit. He hasn't, he's hardly played. He's always injured. And he's not going to keep them up. So they, they don't need... They'd be better off, rather than spunking 40, 50 million or whatever on, on Coutinho, is just buying like three or four 20 million pound players and actually I trying to build I suspect they the can team. do both, though. I suspect they can buy five or six... 20 million players and then a couple of luxury players if they want. Uh, and I do agree with you, they could be, if it goes badly, they could really struggle. But it doesn't take much, as Norwich have shown, two wins and all of a sudden the whole picture looks down because no, teams down the bottom naturally don't pick up many points. If yeah. all of a sudden you win two in four even, then all of a sudden it looks, you've made a lot of ground up there because chances are that other teams haven't won so uh, I think it's I still don't think they'll go down just because I think they've got some goals in the team and I think they will inevitably buy some players who are massively better than what they've got in January and I suspect that that will keep them up bold it's a bold strategy (laughs) (laughs) it's better than not signing anyone at all no, that's true. I would suggest that would be a much bolder <laughs> I have no idea what your result, your predictions were last week. Oh, well, they were from so long ago that they might not have even been from this season. So perhaps we should just write them off. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Start again. Should we do, how, how should we do predictions this week? Should we both predict? Yeah. Yeah, although I haven't got anything to write your predictions down with. That's right, I've got a pen. Oh my God, we've got midweek games as well. Holy shit. Yeah. We're going to have to up our podcast game, Lawrence. Fucking hell. We have. Well, we will endeavour to do a podcast <laughs> at some point <laughs> during the week. But uh, as last uh, the last gap has shown... <laughs> well, the problem is they're not ideally spread out. So they, we could do Tuesday because... Bollocks fixtures on that day, but then none of the good midweek games will have happened. And then United and Liverpool are then on different days. So on Wednesday and Thursday, and Friday nights are not great for a podcast. So no, it's um, well, we could do a drunk podcast, <laughs> <laughs> just completely unedited drunk podcast, and then and then realize we haven't recorded it. Yeah, well, that will probably be better than actually sending it out and then finding out that yeah. we are cancelled. <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> <laughs> have you, speaking of it, have you been listening to the Always Sunny podcast? Uh, no, I didn't even know they had one. Yeah, they've, they've just brought one out. I think there's about four episodes at the moment. 
and um, it's it's the three like main guys, and uh, they just they're going through all the episodes, kind of talking about them, but they never stay on topic. And they anyway, enough about another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you're still listening to ours, go and listen to that instead. It's much better. <laughs> So do you want to do the predictions for for the midweek ones as well? Or uh, we... yeah, yeah, we could could do. Okay. You're doing special calligraphy while you write these out. <laughs> There's a lot of games. Now we got the Merseyside derby. We have Michael Owen will no doubt be on duty for that. I hope not. He's terrible. I actually quite like when the games are on Amazon. Yeah, so do I. You get sort of retro coverage of like Jim Rosenthal and Annie McCoist. <laughs> if only they brought back Des Lynham from the old Champions League nights on ITV. Yeah. And um, what was the other one? Clive Tildesley. Yeah, Clive Tildesley. And even, God, even Andy Townsend doesn't seem as bad <laughs> God. now. Even God. <laughs> get him on. Get, get What's God he been on doing commentary. <laughs> now he'd ruin it, I think. Who, because God? he'd be like, yeah, he'd be like, oh, and it's a goal. Oh, no, wait, sorry, that was 10 minutes from now. <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> you might need several different gods. Yeah, I was going to say that. You, gonna, know, you know, when like United, kind of United play Liverpool and they have to get Carragher and Neville. I like to think if there's a lot of Scandinavian players, then you might get like the Norse gods. I yeah, that would be in. cool. That would, that would be so much better than the regular gods. Like just Thor, just Thor's hammer, just on the ball yeah. when someone's <laughs> trying to take a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're here with the predictions now. So, Arsenal, Newcastle. Uh, Three-one, Arsenal. I'm going to go two-nil, Arsenal. Shock back to the two nils. <laughs> oh, yeah, God, I suspect I can guess what you can say. Palace Villa, then <laughs> Palace Villa, I'm gonna go one all, so two goals. Oh, you bastard, I was gonna go one all, and I shall go one all. Oh, well, what's the fucking point in that? Because we're doing a whole set of predictions, so some of okay. them can be the same. Okay, then Liverpool, Southampton, my, my turn to go first. I'm going to say five nil. <laughs> My turn. Oh, it's my turn. I love rules. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go 4-1. I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet against the mighty Ralph Hassenhutel. No, but predicting them to concede four is quite strong. I don't think Liverpool are that bad at the back. <laughs> oh, banter. <laughs> um, okay. Oh. Shit, click the wrong thing. Norwich Wolves. Oh, it's me first, Ooh. isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. See what happens if we don't have rules, it all goes to chaos. <laughs> Lawrence loves rules. Um, I'm gonna go fuck it, that's a really shit game. Uh two nil wolves. I'm going to go with three one wolves. Okay. Brighton leads. Two two. Oh, to who? No, I was just telling you what I was wearing while we were recording this. Oh, God. The listeners will be thankful that it is not a visual medium, especially... You can see what I'm wearing. We have a, <laughs> we have a camera. 
yeah, if you were wearing a tutu, I'd ask you to reposition your legs as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because that makes it sound like I'm just sat with like my legs either side of the screen. That's how Lawrence straddles his laptop when, when he goes on <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> it's a force of habit. <laughs> uh, Brighton Leeds. I'm going to go. I think Leeds have got to win at some point. No, actually, Brighton are better. Mm, 2 1 to Brighton. I'm going to go. Thank you for voicing all of your thoughts while you were making that prediction. My inner monologue for you. Uh, Brentford Everton. Two for one of the teams. <laughs> Don't know which one yet. I'm going to say 2-1 to Everton. Okay, I'm going to go one all. Uh, Burnley Spurs. Oh, is it me first? It's your <laughs> turn, yeah. See, once uh, again. Shit. 1-0 uh, Spurs in a very dull Antonio Conte masterclass. I'm going to say 2-0 Spurs in a very dull Antonio Conte masterclass, but I reckon they'll get another one in added time to make it look comfortable that yeah. people will probably say, well, that generally doesn't flatter Spurs. <laughs> yeah. Jermaine Genas will be on. He will. That is, he's, oh, it's not on TV. So uh, he'll still, he'll still find somewhere to talk about it. He'll be in his local pub <laughs> pretending he's on air. Um, Lester Watford. One, one. I'm going to go three, two to Leicester crazy crazy result City West Ham um, uh, 3-0 City 2-0 City see I don't give you stick for predicting 2-0 it's a good stock result also you've predicted it twice I'm oh, about wait. to predict so, it three times so have I <laughs> I've predicted it twice <laughs> as well <laughs> Uh, okay, Chelsea United. 2-0 Chelsea. Oh, ever the optimist. <laughs> well, I... what are you going to predict? No, now I'm going to... Because... You I've paid Chelsea. been so, so vocal about how I don't think Chelsea are going to win the league. And even if they do win the league, that is just going to be so boring for football. It's just boring. Chelsea win the league, great. It's boring. I don't care. They'll win it for one season and then it will be just back to obscurity for a bit and then they'll come along and win it again it's just boring so I'm going to go 1-0 to United you reckon they're going to keep a clean sheet yes it's Lukaku or is he still injured is he back I think he's I still he's I think he was on the bench I think so I don't think he'll start but I just and and they've got Chilwell Chilwell injured and they've got someone else and that's all the creativity comes from their fall but I don't know I, I just find Chelsea boring well, that's <laughs> that's very rich to criticise the team for their main creativity coming from their fullbacks yeah who would do that <laughs> <laughs> there's just something it's so fine un- you've nailed your colours to the wall with Chelsea early on and they're going to win the league and you're going to keep this up all season despite the fact that they win the league they're just so unlikable they are very unlikable but you have to accept that they that Tuchel is a good manager, unfortunately. I do. And he's getting some very crap players to play quite well. <clears throat> I do accept Tuchel's a good manager. He's a very good manager. I still don't think that Chelsea team are good enough to win the league. And if you don't, if they do, then well done him. Then you'll present but... match of the day in your pants. 
Yeah, and I'll just say say how boring it is that Chelsea have won the league. <laughs> they're just such a boring club. And they used to be, like, they're, they're not even, when they had the whole, like, circus and new manager every season, even then it was boring. They can't even, even when they're exciting, they're still boring. Anyway, any Chelsea fans Do you think there, you should, guess what? I was going to say, boring. do you think you should <laughs> add a note before, when you edit it, go back and add a note before this section where you just warn Chelsea players, Chelsea fans to skip just sort of a certain time in the podcast after you've just ranted about how boring they are to save them switching off. No, I don't think Chelsea fans need any warning. They know they're boring deep down. They do. You can do the midweek games as well then? Or? Yeah, why not? Let's be boring. Uh, Newcastle Norwich. I mean, that's your turn to start. Oh, is it? Oh, for fuck's sake. Yes. Uh, Newcastle Norwich. Christ, that is uh, one all. Needed team two. wanting to lose. So I'm going to say 2-1 to Newcastle. Oh, you love Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> Leeds Palace. I reckon this is where Leeds will win. I'm going to say 3-1 to Leeds. Nice. I'm going to go 2-0 Palace. Southampton, Leicester. Oh, do you know what, Lawrence? You're going to say 9-0. I I was going to predict 9-0. No! Oh, that's... What, should we just both go (laughs) 9-0? Yeah, yeah. That's got 9-0. Just, it's, you know, it's tradition. It is known. Leicester always goes to Southampton. I'm actually going to say 9-0 to Southampton in a revenge attack. Are you? Okay. Yeah, they've had enough of being beaten 9-0 against Try It now. (laughs) Could you imagine if it finished nine all? <laughs> we, were just, <laughs> we, we were both right. Okay. Uh, Watford, Chelsea. See, this seems like it's the sort of game that should be tough, but it's inevitably the sort of game that Watford won't turn up for because it's Chelsea and they're jamming. Yeah, like and that, that's, so that's very boring. It is very boring. <laughs> I'm going to say a solid 2-0 win to Chelsea. Yeah, I... I mean, that's what I would have predicted, to be honest. I'm going to go 3-0. See if they nick another goal. Pulisic, it will come off his knee and just like, cannon into the goal in the last minute. Uh, West Ham, Brighton. I am going to go 2-1 West Ham. I'm going to go for a surprising 1-0 win to Brighton. Okay. Wolves, Burnley? Oh, I just nil-nil. <laughs> Yeah, Wolves are at home, though. I'm going to go 2-0 Wolves. It's on a Wednesday in December on Amazon Prime. It's going to be (laughs) (laughs) 0-0. Yeah, fair. Villa City. Um, I'm going to... I mean, Gerrard supposedly sets his teams up to be good at the back, but I still don't think... I think I could see the City scoring about five or six, to be honest, at Villa. Um. Maybe not that much. I'm going to go 4 nil City. I'm going to go 3-1 Villa. Are you? That's surprising. Well, City have just been a bit... Just when you think they're good, they throw in a shit result, so... Yeah. No. Heard it here first. Lawrence has completely changed his mind on Gerrard. He loves him now. If they do get battered and Villa is shit and he's sacked before Christmas, <laughs> then I'll find... Oh, that would be brilliant, but... Yeah, and then it will turn up as 
manager of Chelsea and be interim. Boring. Now he'll turn up interim manager at United. <laughs> oh, you would you hate that? Would you really, really hate that? Obviously, obviously, I would hate that. That's like, yeah, but what if he like won that? What if he won the league and it was Gerard? Yeah, but I think that would pain him as much as it would pain me having him there. Yeah, if anything, pos- that would I would enjoy that because that would then United would be winning and Gerard would hate it. But you would have to, in, in theory, though, there there could be a world where there's like a statue of Steven Gerrard outside Old Trafford. Well, yeah, but I think you'd have to win quite a lot for that yeah. to happen. Well, no, I think at this point they're just, just qualifying for <laughs> the top four and then building a statue. <laughs> OK, Everton. Liverpool. But it would also, no, no, let's just play this out. If that were to happen, it would also mean that what he did as a manager at United would completely eclipse what he did as a player at Liverpool him to get a statue that would be have to be like Richard Gerrard to get a statue that would have to be like 15 Premier League wins and about five Champions League wins I yeah. would say well he'll so get he'll then, get a statue outside Anfield as well yeah but then that would pain you to look at that knowing that he'd done so well as a manager at United so you're you're saying that it would pain you for an ex Liverpool player to manage United and do well no but he wouldn't do well. He'd do shit. No, but no, but del- in in this in this hypothetical world, you wouldn't like there to be a statue of an ex Liverpool player who managed United outside Old Trafford. That's no, your issue. No, 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 no. That isn't my issue. No, I'm my leading you down the path Gerard, here, Lawrence. I know you are. But you're trying to lead me down the Matt Busby path. That's what you're trying to do. <laughs> I I thought I'm you were wise, going down. I am wise well. to your game. Wise to your game. I thought there was a little a little dance down the garden path that Lawrence is doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a shame. <laughs> I would hate it if I would hate it if Gerard was interim manager. What about Benitez? <laughs> yeah, but I've never really rated him as a manager either. So he's he's he would awful. be perfect. He would never do it, <laughs> but he would. But he is. He absolutely interim. would. He would. He absolutely would. He's got to manage Everton. Yeah, true, (laughs) true. He just likes being involved. He does. That's his thing. Right. Speaking. Maybe they can get Avram Grant. He was decent for Chelsea. God, is he still? Is he still a manager? Alive. (laughs) Yeah, that might be dead. (laughs) I was. That's that's not funny. It's not not funny at all. I don't know why I laughed so hard at that. And yet here we are laughing at it. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is also quite funny. Anyway, we're going to have to, this is the longest and most off-topic predictions ever, or we're just going to have to cut that bit entirely. No, we've we've gone off topic, but we're back on with Everton. I've been trying to ask you this for the last five minutes. <laughs> um, Everton-Liverpool, Merseyside derby, as they will refer to it and rightly so because that's what it is <laughs> um, Liverpool will always beat Everton so I'm going to say 2-0 yeah it's I think it will be a very scrappy game though 2-0 is probably not a bad shout um, I'm going to go 3-1 to Liverpool but it will be very close 2-1 for ages and then we'll hit them on the break at the end and win 3-1 and Origi will score after Seamus Coleman's been sent off yeah probably and as long as Richarlison breaks his leg then that's I hope Pickford 
Van Dyke's Van Dyke again in exactly the same manner and nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. That, that was awful last year. And the VAR says, yeah, that's fine. We won't look if that's a penalty or not because he was offside or something. Yeah, because we all know that there's an unwritten bylaw that if someone's offside, you're allowed to do whatever you want to them. So I there mean, will be, there will be when they forget what the rules are again and they have to come up with some reason why the referee was actually right all along. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for at some point during these rounds of fixtures for there to be an exactly the same challenge that uh, Allison had at West Ham for the first goal, where they blow the whistle and say it's a foul on the keeper, which will, will happen because that happens we every week. have differing opinions on this. I really don't think that. I didn't want to tell you while we were watching it because you were quite angry. I didn't think you'd appreciate. <laughs> I didn't think you'd appreciate me saying. I don't think it was a foul. No, my my issue is not. Now enough not. time has passed. I I don't think that is a foul. Bottom line, my issue was every week that is given as a foul on the keeper, and if it doesn't go in the goal, the ref blows the whistle for a foul on the goalkeeper. But the fact that it's gone in. The ref just, he just didn't make it. That was the issue. He didn't make a decision. He didn't give the goal and he didn't give a foul. He just sort of went, well, let's see what the camera says. <laughs> and that, that was my main source of anger. It's like, well, you've got to do something, ref. You can't just, the ball's in the goal. You, you, can't, just, you can't just ignore it. <laughs> give something, please. It was very frustrating. It was a very dark time for me. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Spurs Brentford. Oh, is it me again? Fuck's sake. Spurs Brentford. Yeah. Right. Uh, I am going to go. Mm, I think Spurs will drop points. I think one all. I'm not quite sure why you were so angry at having to make a prediction there because I would have thought you understood the premise of this game that you would have to make a prediction. No, it was just it's more it's more that I keep forgetting when it's my go and when it's yours. Ah, I see. It's, you know. It's another endorsement of having rules, isn't it? To stop <laughs> this chaos. Yep. Very I good. think Spurs will continue their one game currently new manager bounce that will become two when they beat Burnley. Extend us three when they put four past Brentford, four one. Wow. It's strange that you are underrating a team from West London when you talk about Chelsea as though you're like, oh, love you. Love you, Thomas. In Chelsea's defence, they are better than Brentford. Yeah, they are. But who would you rather support? Well, yeah, obviously anyone but Chelsea. But Because they are boring. Right, Man United <laughs> are playing Arsenal. Carl, you've got... You've got a shit couple of games. I mean, Arsenal are shit, but that is not that is not the run that Michael Carrick would want, is it really? Um, United Arsenal, he can't lose that, surely. I will tell you my prediction. And it is I reckon United will win that game 3 1. But that's just from years of arrogance of <clears throat> Arsenal being shit. They've actually done all right against United in the recent sort of past three or four years, but my Instinct is still that we should beat them comfortably because it's Arsenal. So, yeah, I'm really tempted to predict eight two. Did Carrick play in that game? Um, he should have done. He was at the club. It's just whether he was 
actually on the pitch fit and and playing. It was, I can't remember. Because Ashley, uh, Ashley Young was playing because he scored. I reckon he wasn't. I think it was a, a very short period of time where Tom Cleverley was probably, possibly playing. Yeah, Maybe that does even with Anderson. Fucking hell, Anderson. 3 one's a good shout. I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go two nil to United. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I've predicted two United wins. Yeah. It doesn't say a lot about your ability to predict, does it? <laughs> no, they're a good side. Give Ollie the job back. Perfect interim manager. <laughs> Could you imagine? Ollie, we have good news and bad news. <laughs> The bad news is you're losing your job. The good news is you've got it on an interim basis. Well, it was nice to be back doing the podcast with you, Lawrence. Yes, thank you. And to you. That's it then. Oh, it is ten past seven. So yeah, dinner time. Yep. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, you said goodbye. Wow. I did. That's because I messed up the hello. So I had to redeem oh, myself. They, they get one or the other. Yeah.